This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Le'Veon Bell has talked about getting the big contract, the Todd Gurley contract. He thinks you ought to be paid as a combination, running back, wide receiver, whatever. But take the football stuff aside. Take his accomplishments aside. Put that aside. And forget about what you think his value is. More importantly, what he and his agent think his value is. He'd be a valuable addition to your team. And if you have the cap space, if you're going to spend that kind of money on a running back slash wide receiver, I know you're mad at him, many of you, but don't let that cloud your opinion of his abilities. I don't think anybody doubts that. So he's thinking, and again, this is not punitive. You know, he did what he did. I don't think he handled himself terribly well. I don't think he did himself any favors either, but it's over and done. But here's what may be standing in the way of him getting the mega contract. And if it plays out this way, it's not at all legal, but it is done. And I'm talking about the C word, as in collusion. Think about the NFL owners. Now, they're pretty much an all-for-one. They're not an all-for-one, one-for-all group. And think about their own teams. But consider this. This is the first time in more than 20 years that a player in a franchise tag has sat out the entire year. Neither of them prospered. Came from the Chicago, 30 years, Chicago Bears. If you're an NFL owner, and you don't say this publicly because it would be illegal to talk about it publicly, But when you have your private conversations and you're in that room with just the 32 owners in there, and someone's bound to say, and it won't be our Rooney, but someone will stand up and say, look, Le'Veon Bell is going to be on the free agent market next March, and he's a valuable commodity still. He'll only be 27. But some owner's going to say, If somebody gives him the mega contract that he is seeking, thereby validating what he did in terms of holding out, don't you think that every franchise player or many franchise tag players are going to do the same thing? If you reward Bell, and it's not because of his worth or what his value is, what you think it may be, but the kind of message that it sends. And again, in any sport, really, it only takes one owner to break the bank. It only takes one off. Doesn't have to be a bidding war. Just one guy says, no, I'll pay. But you would be opening up a Pandora's box for every franchise tag player. Now, some of those franchise tag they've used it on kickers. So the kicker is not going to break the bank. 
but it would send a message to every player who gets hit with the franchise tag that, hey, look what happened to Le'Veon Bell. He did it, and he made out like a bandit. Now, again, not every franchise tag player is a skill position player. Not every franchise tag player is as high profile as Le'Veon Bell, generally considered to be the best all-round back in the NFL. You might argue that, but he's certainly one of them and one of the most valuable offensive pieces of property that the league has seen in recent times. Let's remember the Steelers once put a franchise tag on Max Starks. But as long as the franchise tag exists, and I would think that when the CBA expires, this is something that is going to be a real sticking point with the union, although they agreed to it. It wouldn't exist if they hadn't agreed to it. But every franchise tag player, if he's willing to do that, if he thinks he can cash in later, or at least get a better deal from the team that tagged them, they're going to do this. And I would have to think that league owners would say, yeah, I'd like to have them, but if you're thinking at all about the wealth, health, and welfare of the league, wealth isn't an issue with them, but to keep this from happening time and time and time again, they might decide either A, let's hold off on this, or B, let's keep the offer we make to Le'Veon Bell about the same as his franchise tag last year would have been. No $22 million a year contract with 85% of it guaranteed because we do that, if someone does that, then every franchise tag player from this point forward may think about doing the same. Again, it won't be won't be everybody. But there will be some who do it. That's liable to happen. Now, is that legal? No, it's collusion. Baseball did that a number of years ago, had massive lawsuits filed against it. Remember the Tim Raines case? One of the most valuable all-around players in baseball. He didn't, he didn't even get an offer. I mean, nobody gave him an offer. And Major League Baseball, as so often is the case, is stupid. For <laughs> Nobody made him an offer. Uh, hello? I'm not saying they won't make Bell an offer. But the kind of break-the-bank offer, which he apparently has been seeking, that is the kind of validation that Bell is seeking to say, see, sitting out a year was worth it. I don't think it ever will be. I don't care what kind of contract he gets. I don't know that he's ever going to make up for the $14.5 million. And maybe his chosen path has hurt his image. He's already got some issues, as we know, not necessarily in his performance, but we know the things that he's done, the suspensions, showing up late, that kind of thing. Again, 
It only takes one owner. I mean, it's entirely possible that someone, you know, a maverick guy will go out and say, we don't care about the rest of you. We don't give a damn about the rest of you guys. We're going out and we're going to do it anyway. Might happen. But I would have to think that owners have already thought about this. It's not that they have any intention of signing Le'Veon Bell necessarily, but they also know that they're going to have players that they're going to put the franchise tag on who might do the same thing. Gary on Facebook says, I wish Bell no ill will. I just wish he had told the organization from the beginning that he wouldn't report. However, I believe the reason he did is because he didn't know what he was doing all along. He could have been part of something special this year and chose not to. Maybe it was the Des Bryant accident. Maybe Bell wasn't in shape. We'll never know. Something changed. Why did he fly to Pittsburgh? Someone suggested to me yesterday at the Mike Tomlin press conference, well, he, you know, still has a place in Pittsburgh and he can't pick up his things. He could pick up his things at any point. He didn't have to come up here. I think he came up here to report. I think he came up here to report. Something changed. One of two things happened. Maybe it was the Des Bryant injury. Or maybe, as Gary suggests, and I said yesterday, I think the turning point here was, is that Bell and his agent, and by the way, a lot of people, including me, assumed that he had to get in those six games to get the credit for this year accrued so that he could become an unrestricted free agent. As it turns out, no, he didn't. And I, I'm assuming the Steelers knew that. I would hope they did. But I don't think Bell did. I don't think his agent did. And I didn't fully understand it until it was made clear that no matter whether he reported or not, he was going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now, <clears throat> Steelers have options. They can put another franchise tag on him. That would cost them $25 million but they could put the transition tag on him. But that would give Bell the right to go out, get another deal. Steelers get a right to match it. If they don't, they don't get any compensation. I think they want to be done with it. But I, I think the biggest factor was that, like a lot of people, who didn't fully understand the depth and the fine print in the rule, which said that he would become a free agent at the end of this season, whether he played or not, whether he reported or not. And I think once he and his agent realized that, what am I reporting for? There'd be only two reasons. Number one, to pick up six mil. Number two, to have a shot at a Super Bowl. But in terms of a future contract, why show up and get hurt? Or run the risk of it? The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I've told you guys, and I've told you guys consistently, a reaction comes from me if and when he walks in the door. Until that happens, um, I'm business as usual, focus on those that are here and working, and appropriately so. That way I don't waste my time and theirs. So Mike Tomlin has been very, very consistent in terms of his dealings with Le'Veon Bell. He's pretty much said the same thing <clears throat> all the way along. Some people didn't. You know, believe him when he said that, um, hey, he's not here. I'm not going to worry about him. Now, nobody has to ask him about it. Well, I'm sure somebody will. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. He's brought to us by Hark's Place in Ambridge. 
Labatt Blue 16 ounce drafts for just a buck during all Penguins games. Jerry joins us now. How are you, Jerry? Cold weather, but beyond that, I'm good. There you go. No go. Well, Jacksonville this week. You're bringing your sticks. Yeah, unfortunately, I have a late flight because, believe it or not, Stan, I'm going to go see one of the high school football games. My daughter's school was in the championship game at 11 o'clock. Our Lady of Sacred Heart. So I'm going to go to that game and change my flight. I'm going to fly down late in the day, and, uh, and then, of course, when they moved that game from night to one o'clock. That's what really interrupted my golf game. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately for me, no golf in Jacksonville, believe that or not. Well, it had me working because I wasn't going to have to do the post-game show for late-night road games, and they made it 1 o'clock, and the, sa- the same thing for the Oakland game, which probably is going to get flexed. Um, all right, well, let's, let's put it this way. Um, what, if any, is the aftermath of yesterday at 4.01 p.m.? You know, Stan, I, I think it's going to really, uh, you know, nothing that impacts this season. I mean, it became apparent that, uh, you know, a couple days earlier that he wasn't going to come. I mean, the whole, let's face it, when you, when you look back and you go through this entire process, the, the entire, the entire uh, uh, process and scenario was, was baffling, um, you know, uh, contradictory, um, and, and, and for he, you know, he was going to show up on Labor Day, which is, he was anticipated, and he didn't. Then he was going to show up during the bye week, which he had indicated through a second party, and he didn't. Then he leaves Miami with that emoji. Uh, farewell, Miami. He's headed to Pittsburgh with the intention of signing and coming uh, and joining the team, and then he doesn't. Um, so that, that part of it has just been baffling. I know it's very upsetting to the fans. That I think that is what has really riled them the most. Um, but from a Steeler perspective, they treated it all along as though he were on injured reserve. And, you know, to the point where, yeah, maybe he could come off injured reserve or maybe he won't and he'd be out for the whole year. And that's pretty much been their mindset. I think what we're going to see going forward is how they handle the situation next year. And then they're they're not going to franchise him. You can take that one to the bank. It's pointless and and it's you know it's cost prohibitive because um, it would be about twenty five million dollars. Most importantly, they don't want to deal with Le'Veon Bell in this situation anymore. I'm not even sure that they will transition tag him because they really have nothing to gain in that situation unless they can make a trade. And talking to different people who know about those things say it's it's really difficult to make that trade it's not impossible it can happen it's just it's time uh, you know you're limited by time and it's just hard to make that deal and of course if you transition tag them and somebody gives them a bigger offer than the Steelers, well a bigger offer the transition tag is going to be about nine to ten million dollars i've been told and so if somebody makes them a bigger offer and the Steelers don't match it which of course they won't because they don't want to go through this again again with Le'Veon bell so they won't match it, and then you end up with nothing. So I think they're just going to let him become a free agent, and then they'll take the third-round compensatory pick in 2020. I think that's the way this whole thing is going to play out. It's possible you'll see the transition tag, but that's why it's, you might not see it. And if I had to bet, I would say you won't because it's just difficult to make that trade and get something more. Uh, get something that you might like. And the best you're going to get is a two-pick in, in 2019. That's the best you're going to get. You know, that was going to be my next question. Even if you do the transition tag, which I think is unlikely, 
I mean, really, how much better than a, a compensatory third are you going to get, um, you know, given the, all the circumstances, uh, and is, is that worth fooling around with it? And, yeah. and, and pay that kind of money for, a, in essence, uh, if not a Cobe uh, equal with James Conner, a subordinate to James Conner. Yeah, and, and Stan, and then you run the risk again. If the trade isn't made, um, then if somebody, uh, uh, you know, matches the offer, I, I mean, you know, gives an offer and you don't match it, which they won't, then you run the risk of getting nothing yeah. uh, in return. So that's why I don't think they'll even put the transition tag on them. I think they'll just let him become a free agent and they'll take the third round compensatory pick. Let's talk about the now. Uh, and that means James Conner. One of the key elements now is you better keep James Conner healthy. Uh, now, if he would have gotten hurt earlier, that's no guarantee that that would have been an impetus for Bell to show up. But now, um, I mean, clearly, uh, he's, he's central to their plans, uh, the offense, and to get to a Super Bowl. I'm wondering um, if they're satisfied with the backups they have. Um, I don't know what the market is. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, bringing Fitz-Tuson back or Ben Tate or something, it's not worth it. Do you think they're satisfied with Jalen Samuels and Stephen Ridley? Well, I stand they're kind of at the point where, um, you know, this is the way they've approached it all season. Uh, I don't know how much once they got to the midpoint or maybe after weeks three and four, that they realistically thought Le'Veon Bell was coming back. I, I'm sure they probably thought he might be coming back. I don't think they were sitting there, um, you know, putting the mortgage on it. So um, I think they, you know, they, and, and it's been their history that, you know, they kind of, uh, until the guys prove otherwise, they're, they're satisfied with, with the way their roster looks. Um, you know, the, the, the funny thing now for with all this um, – with all this uh, uh, venom directed toward uh, Le'Veon Bell by the fans and all the people who are vilifying him and want him out of town, all those people now, after 4 p.m. yesterday, they're going to become anxiety-ridden and nervous about the fact, uh-oh, what happens if something happens to James Conner? Um, so, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I think going forward, Stan, right now, I mean, obviously they're going to stand pat and... Um, we we have seen that when guys get behind that offensive line, they become productive. Now, I like what I saw from Jalen Samuels running the ball uh, against Carolina, not just because his numbers, his numbers weren't great. It was just the way he attacked the line. And, and um, we're going to find out if something happens to James Conner. But I don't, you know, it's, I don't sit there and think they're brimming with confidence because they really don't have a proven veteran back. I mean, Stephon Ridley has had success before with, with New England, but that was that was five years ago, Stan. So, I, I mean, you know, you don't want to get to that situation. I think I think they'll cross that bridge uh, if, if they have to come to it. But in the meantime, they're just they're going to continue the way they are, and I don't, um, you know, it's hard to gauge their level of confidence, but I can't imagine they're brimming with confidence, but I don't think they're shaking either. Yeah, you know, watching Samuels perform against Carolina, and again, you know, some of that was uh, garbage time. Um, and we'll see. He's a rookie. He's still finding his way, feeling his way. And oftentimes, when you're unsure a bit what you're doing, you know, you don't run as quickly. I mean, you don't, you know, all of us are like that. If we're, if we're confident in what we're doing, we're 
like that quickly and swiftly without thinking. I don't think he's there yet, uh, but he just looked, frankly, like another guy. I want to give him some time. But I'm what I'm wondering now is, unless it's the playoffs or, or something like that or just a huge game, if we might see James Conner get fewer touches than he's been getting just to preserve him. Um, you know, Stan, I, um, I, I, I don't think so. I think they are going to go uh, and operate the same way they have been, I think, maybe in, in – I, but the last couple games we have seen – you know, a series first and second down, and then on third down, James, if you know, first and second down weren't successful, James Conner comes in. I, I think you'll see the same pattern continue where six or seven or eight plays, he's out of the game. And, and maybe in the later stages of a game, uh, uh, they'll take him out. But, you know, that, that's if, if they have a three touchdown lead. I don't really think they're going to change what they do with the idea. Of, of thinking they need to preserve them because that's just not Mike Tomlin's M.O. I think the offense coordinators get that directive. They want him in the game, and I, don't, I really don't see that changing, Stan, other than what they have been doing, which is the occasional first and second down play, two or three series a game, giving him a little rest. What do you expect the players to do? They're back today. Um, my guess is that they'll be sort of like a collective shrug. Um, would have been nice to have him, but you know we're fine. Um, I, I just I felt like that that was the feeling that they morphed into as the absence grew longer, as Connor's performance grew uh, better, and they began to win. Stan, I think it's this whole process is just it's just been affirmation of the way of what they believe in the way they do business and the way they operate, that we're going to play with the guys we have. And, again, it goes back to that uh, analogy that I make as, as, as Le'Veon Bell being on injured reserve. He's not here, and there's nothing they can do about it, and they're not going to worry about it. They're not, they, you know, the, to, to use the Bill Cowher expression, they're not going to play the what-if game. Uh, they just, they, this is the way they roll, and it's the way Mike Tomlin is. You just go forward. Every team has injuries. Every team has suspensions, defections, or in this case, holdouts. Um, and, and, you know, the, the way they're operating right now and the way they're playing, you know, the, the, it's, it just, it's further proof of, of what they believe in. Uh, and, and if it plays out any differently, it's no different than Fitz Tucson having to play in Denver and fumbling the ball, uh, you know, in the playoff game. Uh, there's nothing they could do to change it. Oh, well, that's where they are. And they're going to try and win games regardless of who's in there. And so, uh, you know, uh, from, from the outside looking in, anybody, they should be thankful that that injury isn't Ben Roethlisberger or even Antonio Brown, but especially Ben Roethlisberger. They can withstand not having Le'Veon Bell. They've shown that. Now the key will be, can James Conner sustain it through a season? You know, he's had, he had injuries, injury issues in college. That doesn't mean he's going to have them now. Um, he's not, he hasn't shown to be Sean Lee just yet. So um, I, I, I think, yeah, I don't think it affects the players one iota. I think the one thing is there'll be a sense of relief that they probably don't have to be asked about it uh, anymore, and they'll just continue on the way, they're, the way they've been since, well, since the beginning of the year. Speaking of injuries, since uh, you're involved with that show, uh, take us through the Stefan Tuitt injury, similar to last year, same arm. I loved his tweet. Um, where he said, it's unbelievable how these defensive backs' heads keep running into my elbow, which would tell right, you... 
Yeah, he said they might, he must be attracted to my elbow. Yeah, right. uh, Because, <laughs> you know, it, it was the same elbow before the Jacksonville game last year, and it was a defensive back. Last year, Artie Burns ran into him in practice the week of the Jacksonville game, and here it was the Carolina game, but Terrell Edmonds ran into him. It was in the third quarter, and he finished the game, but some swelling developed, and he had an MRI yesterday. Um, he didn't know the results because he just had it yesterday. I'm sure they found out today, and I don't know the results of those. Stan, I saw him earlier. It's not like his arm's in a sling or anything like that. He probably won't practice today. Maybe they'll hold him out again tomorrow. I don't know because they haven't been on the field yet. Um, but um, he sounds like it's no big issue at all and that he expects to play uh, on Sunday. He was perfectly fine last night. He lifted that pizza with ease <laughs> when, when we were at Caliente. So I, I didn't see I didn't see any issues. I, I expect him to play now. I will say, last year when he hyperextended that elbow, that affected him it, big time. No question. No question. It it it, it affected. Uh, it certainly limited his effectiveness. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the case. I don't know that it was any more severe or even less severe. But just didn't seem to be a problem both in his mind and and from from what we saw. You know, Jerry, this uh, I've got some numbers coming up. Uh, with the Steelers in Jacksonville. Interesting what's happened to both teams. There are two ships passing in the night, headed in different directions. Uh, to me, that signals some alarm. Uh, I'm just I'm a believer in the hidden vigorish, as right. the Gunner would say, and Steelers with a five-game win streak, Jacksonville a five-game losing streak. But I, I, I'm also getting the sense, and I want you to share if you agree with me, that this team may not end up 13-3. and In fact, I would bet they won't. But I also think that they are, if you will, a more together team um, than than last year's team. Do you get that sense with them? You know, Stan, it, it's hard for me to quantify that because uh, I, I will say this first off. You know, they they are always a team that seems unfazed by whatever is going on. And I have said for years that on Wednesday afternoon. You don't know if they've won 50 to nothing or lost 50 to nothing in a previous game. They are a resilient bunch that goes about their business. I guess that starts at the top. It has to because it's always been prevalent. And, and they, just, they just don't flinch either way. And that's why they've had great success. That's why their, quote, losing seasons are 8-8. Eight and eight. Half the NFL would love to be 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, And so I think that resiliency they have, is responsible for a lot of that togetherness. But I will say this. You don't have Mike Mitchell saying the things that he did. Now he didn't say later in the year. You're not going to have Le'Veon Bell saying and doing the things he said late, late last year now as well. And so maybe some of those, quote, distractions, if you will, won't, won't be prevalent. May, uh, and, you know, we heard what David DeCastro said last year, Stan, after they lost to Jacksonville. He was really upset. Those players who said the things that they did, and uh, you know, behave the way they did. And but I, as I always point up, Stan, Mike Tomlin set set the table for those guys to say and do that when he said what he did to Tony Dungy on national TV. So I, I, I don't see any difference in these guys. Um, I don't see any disruptive influences though either. And um, but but to your point, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But I I, I always see. I always see basically, basically speaking, the same group of guys uh, in that locker room, uh, you know, understanding that uh, 
Some guys like Antonio Brown are, are different. They're, they're very individualistic, if not selfish or divas at times. But they, they just kind of ride with that, accept them, maybe don't like some of the things, but they don't let it bother them. All right, well, Jer, as always, enjoyed it. Have a good trip to Jacksonville. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you in the pregame uh, beginning at 11 o'clock. And then, of course, uh, we'll be talking to you again next week, the day before Thanksgiving. Thanks, Jer. All right, Stan. Always good chatting with you, as you know. Okay, very good. Jerry Dulack of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Uh, you know, that's number one focus in my mind, preparing for Jacksonville. They're a great defense. Um, this is probably the biggest test um, and challenge for us as an offense, so it's a big one. Ben talking about Jacksonville. Ben was named for the second consecutive week the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. His performance against Carolina Perfect quarterback rating, 158.3, fourth time he's done that. 22 at 25, 328 yards, five touchdown passes. Yeah, I'd say offensive player of the week. This is interesting about the Steelers in Jacksonville. And you would think that this all portends well for the Steelers. I have a little bit of an issue. The Steelers are, since week 10, or since week five, excuse me, to where we're at now, the Steelers are 5-0. and Jacksonville is 0-5. During that five-game stretch, the Steelers in point differential, plus 84. So they're winning games by a 16-point margin. When you score 52, that doesn't hurt. The Jaguars are a minus 71. So they're losing their games by an average of two touchdowns per game. In total yards, the Steelers are a plus 792, meaning they've gained 792 more yards in those five games than their opponents or that they've allowed. Jacksonville is a minus 120 in their five games. The Steelers have a plus 15 in sacks versus sacks allowed. We know they've only allowed three in the last five games. So they're a plus 15. Jacksonville is a minus seven. So even with Bortles' mobility, they're not protecting him all that well. Now that would seem to be a great thing. Things, plural. Steelers are playing as well in the last five games um, as they have really certainly this season, but obviously in a number of seasons past. And Jacksonville expected to be so much more. They're three and six, and they're probably out of it. Certainly if they lose Sunday, they're dead. Something about this I don't like. Something rotten in Denmark or in northern Florida. One other number. You wonder why the Steelers are doing so well recently? This was a big topic of discussion that we all had early in the season. In the first three games, the Steelers committed 37 penalties, 12 per game. It's 
awful. In the last six games, they've committed 38, including only one against Carolina. These are not coincidental, and they aren't accidental. 37 in the first three games, 38 in the last six. Maybe you'd like to cut down on the 38 a bit, but that's a heck of a lot better than what you had when you're averaging 12 a game. You've cut them in half. Still, that hidden vigorous bothers me. And I know the Steelers are 14-1-1 on the road in their last 16 games. They're 10-0-1 in their last 11. They've been very good on the road. Where traditionally, they haven't been. They have been 14-1-1 the last 16. I'm not saying they're going to lose this game. That goes back to why I asked Jerry Dulac the question I was asking him. Do they seem like a more mature team? Able to handle teams like Jacksonville. I know they're supposed to be good, but they're not right now. To not have those ebbs and flows. Look, they're going to lose a game or two more. I mean, you can bet on that. They're not going to go undefeated. But if you're going to lose one, you know, lose to New Orleans. If you have to. Or even one to the Chargers or one to the Patriots. Not all three, but two out of the three. You still end up at 12-3-1 and one, or 12-4-1. and one. Or 11-4-1. and one. I'll get my math straight. But anyway... Are they mature enough to beat a team that's reeling like Jacksonville? To me, that's what it's going to come down to. One other item on the NFL. You may have seen that the big game, it's a huge game, Kansas City against the Rams, was supposed to be played in Mexico City on Monday night. That game has now been moved to Los Angeles. It was officially a Rams home game, but they're going to play in Mexico City as part of the NFL's ongoing mission to sell T-shirts. But the game had to be moved back to L.A. Why? Because the field conditions at that stadium were unacceptable. Remember the Steelers had a game up in Toronto, an exhibition game, and, and guys were fearful of ripping up their knees. It was artificial surface. This is, a, this is a great reason not to play games in places like that. I mean, it's a soccer stadium. I don't know why the turf is so bad. And that's not to say that you don't get bad turf at normal NFL stadiums that aren't field turf. Remember the early days of Heinz Fields, like playing a game in a sandbox. But this is a good reason not to have these games in Mexico City. I know they haven't had field issues in London. I'm opposed to that. I'm over it. I'm done with it. This ought to be a clue. All of a sudden... The Rams have a big following. Why? Because it's Los Angeles. How you doing, dude? And they got a winner. And they fill up the Coliseum for the most part. So they took that game, a huge game, two of the best teams, one-loss teams in each conference, and they're going to play in Mexico City? Now, this happened completely by accident. This isn't anything the NFL did, but they went down there looking at the turf and said, we can't play on this. What's the matter with you people? Half the players said, we can't even smoke it. <laughs> I'm glad they're not playing there, but I hope it sends a message. I know it probably won't. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.